listen, I prefer wearing shorts and sandals, right? If I go to if I go to Goldman Sachs as an analyst and I can't say, well, listen, Goldman, I prefer wearing shorts and sandals to work. They're like, this is a bank. You're wearing a suit. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Life in Overdrive, the podcast that you have to love because they've got my family, and if I can't convince you to love me, then I don't know what's going to happen. I got a severed finger in the mail, and I don't know what's going on. But in all seriousness, today's interview is pretty interesting. It's with a guy by the name of Dave Pounder. He's a former entertainer in the adult film industry and an author who is currently pursuing his PhD so that he can do research on human sexuality. Now, for the most part, I agree with a lot of the things that Dave says in this interview, but there were a couple things that I didn't necessarily agree with very much, and rather than spend a large portion of the interview arguing with him over that, I figured it was better to uh, let him talk about his research and get his opinions out there just so that the show didn't get derailed. But um, some some of the larger grievances I will address in the conclusion, so you might want to stick around for that. This episode's a bit longer than the average episode, so I don't want this intro to drag on any longer than it needs to. So with that, I'm just going to jump straight into the interview. Here's Dave Pounder, you guys. I was working at a bank, and uh, you know, I did the whole sort of conventional education. Went to uh, undergrad, then worked at GE for two years, then went to grad school. And uh, I was like 24, I think, 23, 24 years old, and I was going to my little cube, you know, building financial models and risk default models for the bank as a risk analyst. And uh, I'm like, all right, like the job's kind of cool, but I'm like, this sucks that I have to come to this cube every day. You know, like Monday through Friday. And I envisioned myself like, you know, a friend of mine told me he had a friend that was a UPS driver. And the UPS driver said, you know, it's kind of sad that I know exactly where I'm going to be at 7.25 p.m. Like his route is so synchronized. And I thought, you know, I know exactly where I'm going to be 40 years from now. I'm going to be sitting in a, you know, an office uh, building, you know, analytics. And I'm like, that kind of sucks. It would be kind of nice to work for the beach or to wear shorts and sandals and not be stuck in a... Uh, you know, a uh, business casual attire, whatever. So um, I knew that I wanted to start my own business. Um, I looked into the mainstream film industry, but that was like millions of dollars to make a movie. It wasn't really doable. And I also thought it'd be kind of cool to break social taboos or help break social taboos by getting involved with the porn business because I didn't realize how cheap it was to make a movie. And uh, I was, it was always something I wanted to align myself with. You know, I think a lot of people in society have, I think our social norms regarding sexuality are kind of outdated. And based more like in a biblical morality than any kind of scientific research. So I figured if I could actually help contribute to making sex more positive, 
Um, and I could do that by aligning myself with the business and then going eventually on shows like these and, and talking about, um, why I got in and what I thought about it and sexuality more generally. So it was, it was really a combination of freedom to wear shorts and sandals and just run my own business more generally. You know, what, there's not a lot of businesses where you can wear shorts and sandals every day and wake up at 11, you know, and part of it was aligning myself with sexuality because I, you know, I have zero, like I have no bad background. Like, you know, I, I've never been arrested. I've, I've never done drugs. I, I didn't even drink alcohol until I was like 24, 25. You know, I'm well-educated. I'm like your model citizen. You know, a lot of times if you're in anything controversial, they can go, oh, yeah, but that's the guy that does cocaine or, you know, that's the guy that went to jail for grand theft. You know, they, they try to point to something, but it's like I'm here to say, listen, I, I've done everything correctly in terms of what society would say you're supposed to do. Yet I still proactively went into the adult film business and I thought it was a great experience. I have no regrets whatsoever. The only reason I got out was because the money's not there anymore because of the free and pirated content. It was strictly a business decision. Otherwise, I'd still be there. It's it's really interesting to hear that those are the reasons that you got involved with it in the first place, because I think a lot of people's go-to reaction would be that any guy who gets involved with, in the business is doing it pretty much so that they can just have sex with a bunch of beautiful women. Well, I was doing that before I got into the business. I mean, so, you know what I mean? So it's like, it was never, listen, I'm a tall guy, I'm outgoing, you know, I'm decent shape like i'm educated like it's it's not difficult for me to go out and have sex and not only that but when i was in grad school i discovered the swinger community where i would meet couples and like hook up with the wife while the husband watches and so i never cared you know, i've always been very sexually open i'm like hey listen i'm happy i'm, I'm hooking up you know the, the husband's happy he's watching his wife that's his thing the wife's happy she's making the husband happy by hooking up with me everybody's happy like nobody loses you know so I didn't, I didn't need porn to get access to sexual variety, but I can see why maybe if you're like what I would call a low status male, if you're somebody who's short and you don't have any confidence and you're meek and you don't make a lot of money and you, you know, you're, you're like a mechanic at a down the road. Uh, I can understand why that, why getting in the porn would appeal to that person because scientifically speaking, they're less likely to attract, you know, the, the higher value, uh, women. Uh, which, again, by social standards, science are, you know, youth, uh, attractiveness, things along those lines that men typically value in females. And even that person, wouldn't they sort of run into the problem of uh, the adult entertainment industry, from my perspective, seems to look for a certain level of attractiveness in the men that they hire anyways, right? Actually, no, not really. You know, what happens is, like, when I was at Bang Bros, we, um, I was directing for them, and... Uh, it's really hard to find guys. It's harder to find guys than it is to find girls. And the reason for it is any girl can be a performer. All she needs is a bottle of lube if she's not aroused and she can just go, you know, make noises. The guy can't fake an erection. And it's really, really difficult to find guys, one, that have the size necessary that they can open up for a camera angle without falling out. They don't have to be huge, just big enough where, you know, they can open up for a camera angle. And two, that can actually, you know, one is reliable enough to show up on time, you know, that they'll be there on time and I have an excuse that would hold up the entire production. Three, the ability, the hardest one is the ability to perform. I mean, most guys are not going to be able to get an erection on demand, be able to delay orgasm for the amount of time needed to shoot all the content. And then when they have shot all the content that they need to be able to turn around and deliver a, a you know, climax shot, if you will, at the end. I mean, there's a lot, for most guys, they, they, they couldn't do it. You know, everybody says, oh, I could do it, you know, because they think about themselves in, the, in their private room with the girl. But they, you know, they don't picture themselves with one foot in a cold pool, 
you know, the other foot on a, you know, holding on to something and it's, you know, not the most comfortable position and there's five people looking at you and now they have to break because there's a lighting issue. And they're like, all right, hold on for 30 seconds while they fix something. And you have to sit there <laughs> in your head and start thinking about all these fantasies that keep you aroused. You know, it's, it's, it really is a performance. I mean, it's, it's no different from any other, you know, if you're a martial artist or if you're a, you know, basketball, whatever it is, like, you really have to hone your game. And I remember when I first got into the business, like, you know, I, I was like, oh crap, like I can't do this. Like, I mean, I failed the first two times until I finally got, you know, I had to, I figured out what worked well for me in terms of what I had to eat, how much sleep to get, what to eat, how long before the shoot, you know, like certain positions that work to start off in where I know that I would do better, you know, and then I just figured it out, you know, and, it, and it's like anything else. But no, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, obviously having sex with the attractive women is a huge benefit. Um, <laughs> it's, it's less work. No, I mean, but it's less work. I mean, I never had problems, you know, meeting attractive women, but it is work. You have to go out there, you have to charm and be funny and, you know. Right. When it's part of your job description, then there's only a certain amount of work that you have to do in order to make that meeting happen in the first place, right? Right. In other words, if I'm not in the porn business, it, it's I have to make an investment, either in money or time or something to get access, sexual access, where in porn, it's the opposite. Like, I get paid, <laughs> right? So it's like, I don't have to do any work. I don't have to like go out to charming or any like, you know, conversation. Like you just get right, right to it, which is cool from sort of a male evolved sexual psychology perspective. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was good times. I'm a 24 year old male and I've had performance issues at, not often, but in the past in a private setting. And I think everybody does from time to time. I think you're probably lying if you're saying it's never happened to you. So, I mean, I can imagine under those, un under that set of circumstances that you have to perform under, it being way more of an issue than it would be in your normal sexual life. Well, it is. I've never had a performance problem in my private life, which is probably what allowed me to do porn. But I have ab absolutely had uh, performance issues, especially in the beginning. <clears throat> you know, I, I would show up to set once, and I'm like, why can't I get hard? What the hell? <laughs> it was totally my type. And then other times, I would show up to set and be like, oh, my God, I'm not in this role at all. And I, I remember one time specifically, I was actually texting other performers I knew because I was so not attracted to the girl. I was like, do you guys want to do, do a scene for me? <laughs> I'm here right now. And they're like, well, why don't you want to do it? And I'm just like, I'm not into the girl. Like, it was, she wasn't like, you know, most guys would have sex. It just wasn't really my type. And uh, and I couldn't find anybody. I didn't want to let the director down because he wouldn't hire me again. And I did a suit. And I was solid. Like, solid. You know, and I was like, how the hell did that happen? I can't even imagine that. Like, I, I don't know if I would be able to follow through with having sex with someone that I'm not attracted to Well, you know what happened was I got there and she's in makeup, you know, and I'm just like, oh, I'm not attracted to her. I'm going to try to get out of this. And then once she started going, like, her energy, there was so many other components. There. I mean, it, you got to remember, this is unattracted by porn standards, not by general society standards. I, mean, I would have, like, when I say... I would pick somebody else is because she was a, a seven and not a 10. You know what I mean? Like the girl who's a one or two by, you know, when you talk about the one, the 10 scale, she's nobody's hiring her. She's not even in the business to begin with. So it's a, it's a sub selection of the population. Now, granted, there are fetish sites, you know, there's a, uh, there's a site called feed me F me basically. And uh, the guy is a really ginormous girl. The guy's feeding her cheeseburgers while he has sex with her. You know, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm just not, I'm not going to even agree to do it. I'm like, I'm not, you know, the agent would call and say, well, I'm not interested in that shoot. Thanks, but no thanks. Uh, or they know that I don't work with what they call BBW girls, which stands for big, beautiful woman. So this girl wasn't like that, but I, for whatever reason, I just wasn't feeling it. And, uh, but I, I came through solidly. So you never know, you know, but it's, uh, I think only one time in my private life, I, I had a performance issue and that was actually with a girl 
who I was hooking up with, and she said her boyfriend was going to be home any minute, and he didn't know. <laughs> and I was more concerned about some guy walking through and kicking my ass than I was. So what, the performance, and that's it too with the sex, was we're like, uh, maybe I shouldn't be here. So, you know, that was the only time in my private life. And that's one of the, the markers of someone who's able to do porn is somebody that can, you know, always perform. And even those guys that can always perform at home, once you put them in, in the environment, they can't do it. I mean, even even at Bang Bros, when we'd have to, you know, put an ad like on Craigslist, you know, guys to do porn, you get, you get hundreds of guys that show up and we'd be like, okay, here's a porn magazine. Like, we'd be in the room and the guy just can't get hard because we're there looking at him. And it's like, dude, if you're in a room <laughs> and there's one guy looking at you, Imagine a room with 20 people looking at you in a much bigger room, you know? <laughs> I imagine it also has to do with, like, the length of the shoots, too, because you probably have to go for quite some time, right? Yeah, but there's a lot of breaks. I mean, like, you know, you start going and the camera guy goes, oh, I have no light break. We need a light here. You know, in the end, the final product, you see edited. But it's it's stop and go the whole time. It's actually kind of annoying. It's almost like someone, you know, you watch some video of a guy like driving a Ferrari or Lamborghini and that's his job to get paid to drive these exotic cars. Like, wow, what a great job. You see the final product. You see him flying down the road in the Ferrari, driving down the coast. And then you watch the production. It's like, all right, get in the car. All right, get out. Get in again. Okay, now can you get in from the other side? <laughs> Uh, now put this shirt on and go in and then in the end they take like all the best parts of everything they shot and they put it in the gutter in one like seamless video clip that looks awesome in that 30 seconds you saw but it's also nothing like what actually happened yeah. right it's like 10 hours to shoot that you know i used to do some mainstream work and i'm like this sucks it was terrible you know even even the feature porn stuff like for like vivid and uh you know companies like that like that would shoot these storyline plots like you know they'd pay you more money they'd give you a couple extra hundred dollars but it wasn't worth it because you have to get up way early get to the shoot do dialogue memorize lines it was just wear these wardrobes or you just do a gonzo shoot where you just show up there's the girl have sex and leave and make 80% of the rate and that works for me I'd rather I'd rather make 80% of what I could have made in a feature company and be in and out of there in two three hours as opposed to being there for 12 hours you know just being a in a movie that has more distribution because it's you know shot hardcore softcore and all the different things that they do for cable and stuff what about that particular job do you think the average person doesn't know like what sort of misconceptions do you think people have about what you used to do well what i just said i mean that you know that you just get to have sex with all these beautiful girls. i mean it's not like that it's, it's the car thing you get in you get out you get in it's like okay you, you start off doing stills first of all you get there you're doing like a half an hour paperwork and then you fill everything out for you know for the government take pictures with ids test results all that and then you gotta do what's called then you gotta wait around while the girl does her solo stills. that's like another hour of sitting around doing nothing and then you do hardcore still. So the girls like, you know, blow, they pull it out, take it in, put it in, do the, oh, okay, hold on, I need to, re I need to get this other card. Oh, I need to download this. Oh, the light broke. And you're like, all right, so you're waiting. And then you come back and they got to get hard again. You know, then, you know, it's just this long process that most people don't really understand. So that's a misconception. Uh, so in a lot of ways, it's like a real movie set. Yeah, but I've been on real movie sets and those really suck. Those are even worse. And, you know, when you do a real movie set, they shoot it from the front, they shoot it from the back, they shoot it from the porn doesn't do that. They're not like, okay, let's shoot it again from the backside. Let's get this other angle. Like they don't, they don't really do that. Where mainstream does. I mean, I used to do some work on that TV show, The OC, back in the day, and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like I don't care how much they're paying me, I would shoot myself. It's terrible. So there's there's no uh, panning Matrix 360 cameras in porn, is what you're saying? Uh, no, but it's uh, it's cool. I mean, like I'm trying to think what the other conception, what the misconceptions are. I mean, um. I don't know. Tell me what some of the what you think some of the things are. And I'll tell you if they're true or not. Well, one of the things that I had always heard, and I don't know if this is 
the majority of porn sets or if it's very few or what frequency it occurs at but i'd always heard that there were these girls called fluffers that were responsible for getting the guys uh at attention again the guy is responsible and if he can't get hard he's out and he won't shoot anymore for that director the only time they'll ever have what what you're referring to is if they're shooting what's called a gangbang shoot there's like a girl trying to do like a hundred guys like for some fetish thing and then what they'll do is they'll they'll hire all the guys and then they don't want to waste film time waiting for a guy to get hard so there'll be girls there giving guys blowjobs in the background and once one's ready to go then that guy goes in has sex with the main girl you know basically comes as soon as he can and then hopefully there's another guy ready to go that happens on these large-scale, you know, gangbang. Not, not if there's like three or four guys on the girl. I'm talking like, you know, 50 guys. But that's rare. They don't really shoot stuff like that that often. You know, I mean, I think in 10 years porn, like maybe I saw that two or three times. Maybe <laughs> it makes sense to have it then. But there's no reason. I mean, as a producer, when I put when I produce stuff, like I would never pay a, an extra girl. To, if the guy can't get hard, I find another guy. You know what I mean? I'd be like, he's not he's not cut out for the. Uh, for the business. Um, I think, uh, but back to misconceptions, you always hear like from people who don't like porn, it's thing. people always seem to conflate pornography and child pornography. And nobody in the porn business in 10 years that I know has ever shot anybody that was under the age of 18. I mean, it's completely lawful. And, and I tell people, you know, people like make this those are two completely separate things. There's pornography, like legal, legitimate porn, and there's the criminal act of child pornography. So to say that any the two are any way related is like saying that McDonald's, this legitimate food company, is somehow related to the guy who's poisoning candy at Halloween. Some rogue guy, right, that's like a criminal. Like, they're completely different. Like, one is legitimate business. So everybody in porn is of age. Um, if, if it's ever discovered where somebody isn't, it was never any uh, nefariousness on the part of the producer. It was always the girl got a fake ID and, and led everyone to believe that she was of a certain age. And the minute it was discovered, all her content was destroyed and uh, it was reported. You know, But I think in over 10 years working in porn, there's only one or two girls that we know of that was discovered they had a fake ID. And every producer I know, all the content was destroyed. It was reported immediately to the authorities. It's a very professional business if you're dealing with a professional company. Now, if some, you know, if you go buy a camera tomorrow and put an ad on Craigslist and say, "Oh, I'm shooting porn," that doesn't make you really a member of the business. I mean, you got to be part of the Free Speech Coalition, the trade group. You know, go to the shows. Like the agents know who you are, and that's why I always tell girls, like, you know, get an agent, get a good agent, because the good agents know who the guy in the back room of the camera is versus real corporations who hire their girls on a regular basis, so they know that they're going to a safe environment and that they're going to get paid. I think it's strange how much uh, people try to tie things into child pornography like that. And I mean, not even not even just with regular pornography, but like you hear all the time about how like a 16-year-old girl will sext her also 16-year-old boyfriend and then that kid gets in trouble for pornography or child pornography. Like we're not talking about a pedophile in that case. We're talking about two kids with uncontrollable hormones who also both have access to cell phones and not the maturity to not send naked pictures of one another. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. And I think a lot of that just is kind of religious morality that I think is thankfully slowly eroding away and people are realizing there's nothing wrong with sex. It's healthy. It's natural. I mean, I don't get, you know, back in the day, people used to get married when they were 16, you know, hundreds of years ago, 16 years old, right around the onset of puberty. Now what's happened? The age of puberty has come down a little bit to like 14, 15. And people are getting married at 30. Who's going to wait till they're 30 to have sex if you want to take this whole premarital sex? I mean, it's ridiculous. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's it's It needs to, all this religious morality needs to go away with the uh, with the uh, everything revolving around the earth mentality. When we know it revolves around the sun, 
and start taking more of a scientific approach to morality and looking at really judging acts as moral or immoral based upon the impact of what I would say is called conscious creatures, as Sam Harris says. Like, in other words, if I take out a gun and I kill a deer because I'm a, I'm a legal hunter and I've just taken another life, that is immoral by scientific standards compared to Janet Jackson's boob coming out on <laughs> the Super Bowl or Eminem cursing in a song where nobody gets hurt and people are, are opting in to hearing this language, you know, there's no harm to conscious creatures. So it's like, like Eminem and pornography is completely moral in my view, or, you know, these, these rappers or whatever. And, um, you know, hunting uh, and smoking, you know, these are immoral acts because even when you're smoking, you're, you're harming other people around you. You're harming their health, you know, and all these, these other things. So, you know, thankfully, we're moving in a in a positive direction, I think. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree with you more, but I don't know how uh, prevalent this is in schools across the country, because take this with a grain of salt, I live in Pennsylvania, where you can't even buy alcohol in grocery stores like you can most everywhere else in the United States. And you have Rick Santorum. Right, that too, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> I know that in my school, the sex ed curriculum was essentially you need to wait until you're married to have sex, and if you don't, you will get AIDS and you will die. Like, that was very much the way that they taught you what sex was, and it's just not realistic to assume that a group of teenage kids is going to all wait until they get married to have sex. It seems kind of counterproductive to me because then you get kids in situations that they're not prepared for because they were never taught how to do it safely in the first place. Right, absolutely. Well, what you're describing is called abstinence-only education, which has been proven over and over again not to work. And the joke is they say, you know, virginity pledges break more than condoms. <laughs> and, you know, the Center for Disease Control has a... Uh, advocates for what they call comprehensive sex education. It's basically abstinence-only sex ed, which is what you have. Then there's abstinence plus, which is they'll talk about condoms and stuff, but they don't talk about LGBT issues and all these types of things. And then there's what they call comprehensive sex ed, where they talk about condom use and they talk about um, effectiveness rates and they talk about LGBT issues and all this other stuff. And the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, recommends this comprehensive thing. And I think it's called like the Family Life and Human Development Curriculum. Uh, where I live, the Broward County School Board uh, adopted that, which is great. They haven't done it here in Palm Beach County yet. I'm, I'm hoping they do at some point. But listen, I'm a data guy. I'm a science person. I mean, science works. That's how we got on the moon. You know, that's how we develop cars and buildings that don't fall over. <laughs> you know, I think that's that's the best place to look when it comes to these issues and not, again, this sort of outdated religious morality. I mean, that's my, that's my problem with religion is, I mean, who cares what gay people, if gay people want to get married, let them get married, right? All the opposition to gay marriage comes from religious people, nobody else. And it's just, it's silly. So it's, I'm just hoping, uh, I always try to, uh, when I meet people, it's kind of like, you know how you have your evangelical Christians? I'm like the evangelical atheist. And I go around and I try to like, like, you believe that really? Why? And it's funny because most people who are religious, they don't even understand their own religion. They'll be like, they'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm Christian. I'm like, all right, uh, do you know what, the, what, what, name me the books of the gospel. Uh, they don't even know. And, and they, right. Yeah. You're, you're so right. Most Christians know like the story of Jesus, obviously. And then like a few things like Adam and Eve and Noah's Ark. And that's about the extent that they get involved with it. But they believe so strongly things that that religion puts at the forefront and it doesn't make a lot of sense exactly i know but on a positive note the uh the non-religious category if you will is growing in numbers every time you see the latest data it's uh it's beneficial <laughs> so i'm optimistic so do you think then that uh 
people uh, still clinging to religion so much is the reason that a lot of people tend to cling to these archaic beliefs about sexuality. Well, yeah, but it also kind of has a, what do they call it, secondary effect, right? Like, if you're a religious nut and you have a kid, he's still in your religious nut environment. You know how they say, like, um, you are, like, the combination of, like, your ten closest friends or whatever they say? It's one of those types of things. If you live in a society where everybody around you is acting or saying a certain thing, you might come to believe that, you know? But, yeah, I mean, I think the nice thing is with the internet, I mean, I think the internet's one of the greatest things ever because people who are otherwise marginalized by society, like people who are gay, for example, um, can find, or transgender, whatever, they can find peer groups where they can then realize that they're normal. I mean, they may be outliers in the general population sense from a pure statistical standpoint, but when you're talking about 300 million people in the United States, you can find acceptance and you can find um, a group. I mean, it's, you know, to me again, dude, I'm a libertarian, so it's like, let people do whatever they want as long as it doesn't harm other people directly. So if someone wants to go change their gender, if somebody wants to have sex with a guy and they're both guys or girls or whatever, like, who cares? Like, as long as it isn't coercive and everybody's participating, then, you know, knock yourself out. These people that try to control other people, you know, it's kind of like saying, listen, I like spaghetti, okay? And if if you're like if your religion is you believe in the flying spaghetti monster and you think spaghetti's sacred, so now you start lobbying your governor and your and your legislators to ban spaghetti at all the grocery stores. Now I'm pissed because I'm like, look, dude, you can believe in your flying spaghetti monster, but like don't don't mess with my spaghetti. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> now I can't get spaghetti. So it's kinda like, you know, if you're like you know, an eighteen year old girl and you just got pregnant or you were raped or something, like you should be able to get an abortion. You know what I mean? Like just because in all these religions are so different because like, you know, in in Catholicism and Christianity they believe that, you know, conception uh, uh or that life begins at conception. But if you're uh, a Muslim uh, it depends on which hadith you subscribe to, but they believe that that the soul doesn't really enter you until after birth. Again, depending on which text you subscribe to, um, it could be anywhere from like I don't know if it's like a year, or three months, or this, you know, there's some arbitrary number of after birth. So most most people who are, are Muslims, they really don't have an issue with abortion because it's a non-issue to them. Mm-hmm. So you know, if I'm a Muslim person and I want to get an abortion because I got pregnant, right? And to have these Christians telling me I can't because they believe it's a baby. Meanwhile, the science the science will show that um, you know, in terms of when people have their first memories and all that kind of stuff, that all of that is after birth. You know, it's just completely asinine to me that these religious groups have so much power. And and the thing is, it's power in numbers because I think most people that are religious be it Muslim or Christian or whatever, I don't think they're fundamentalists. They're just kind of like, well, I want to be a good person. And I was told, you know, my parents brought me to church, so I'm a Catholic, but they, that's why they can't name they can't name the four books. They just, they call themselves Catholic in the same way that I call myself Dave, because I've just been told my name is Dave, right? And if I can convince more people, if they don't subscribe, you know, if they don't agree with their religion, they just at least say, listen, you're spiritual, but you don't subscribe to any religion. If I can get them to like leave the faith, so to speak, then it helps it helps lower the numbers, which then makes the group less uh, have less political influence than they otherwise would have. I'm I'm very pro-choice. I mean, maybe not so far as to say that like women should be able to get abortions like as a catch-all sort of form of contraception. But I mean, even then, who am I to tell another person what they can and can't do with their own body? But like, especially in the case of rape, like if you force that woman to carry that child to term, like that's got to be a horrifying emotional ordeal for her to deal with while she's carrying around this thing that's a result of this horrible incident like i I can't even imagine having to go through something like that much less forcing somebody else to do it 
that seems crazy. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's like anything else. I mean, you know, there are people who are suffering from, say, Parkinson's disease, and there's promising cures in embryonic stem cell research. And you have these groups that believe that an embryo is a person, and then these people are now needlessly suffering when there's so many uh, you know, prospective cures that could come from this embryonic stem cell research. So it's just, it's, there's, there's so much pain. And so, I mean, even people that are old, you know, the, the, the sort of right to die movement, like, you know, in Oregon, you can, you can end your life with physician assisted suicide. Why on earth should you not be able to do that? Anywhere else, you're in traumatic pain. It's your own life. You can jump off a mountain if you want. So why can't you, you know, have a lethal injection? So you have these people that are needlessly suffering because there's some religious nut somewhere that's trying to tell him how he has to live his own life, even though he's not affecting anybody else, you know? I mean, there there are people out there arguing that you shouldn't be able to use any of those embryonic stem cells from an abortion for any sort of research or anything like that, but that just seems so wasteful to me and counter to even the argument that they're trying to make, because wouldn't you think from their perspective that, like, if the abortion's going to happen anyways, that you should at least probably get something out of it? Yeah, I know, well... You know, it's, it's one of these things where, you know, they, it's funny, when they talked about the Gardasil vaccine, which, you know, it, it helps prevent cervical cancer in women, the church was opposed to the Gardasil vaccine because they said, well, if we give them the Gardasil vaccine, they're going to see that as a, that it's okay to have sex. That's like saying, well, if we put a seatbelt in a car, it's going to let them know that it's okay to drive dangerously. It's like, no, you put the seatbelt in the car so you can, you can live in the event that you get in a car accident. So in the event that you get pregnant or in the event that you're at a you know, party and you have sex that you don't end up with a you know a life-threatening cervical cancer down the road it's just it's completely silly from reading up on you a little bit i've seen that you uh you've been a bit of an activist with certain uh forms of regu- regulation in the adult entertainment industry can you tell me a little bit about that yeah i mean i think that like any other industry if, if most of your employee if you work at ford motor company and everybody starts coming home with a cold <laughs> you know what i mean i think there's going to be a problem if you tell me you've, you've been in porn for more than six months or a year working consistently and you've never got chlamydia or gonorrhea i'd say something's wrong that this doesn't sound right like you're basically guaranteed to get gonorrhea, chlamydia, herpes, you know, uh, if you're working in porn because they don't use condoms. So I think it's from a, I, people don't want to use condoms in their personal life. That's their choice. But if you're going to work, I think that in the same way that a construction uh, person is obligated or legally required to wear a hard hat, they should do the same thing for adult performers. I mean, picture yourself as a young girl that's very health conscious and, and you always, you know, use condoms at home and, you know, whatever, because you want to be safe and you go to work and they say, okay, well, this is a non-condom shoot and this is the career choice you've made because you want to make money and you, whatever, you know, you like sex. You shouldn't have to get a, an STD as a result of that employment choice. You know, and then a lot of the producers go, well, how do you know if you got it on set? I mean, there's no way to prove you got it at the set. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but, I mean, that's like saying, you know, how do you know you got your concussion at the work site? Maybe maybe somebody hit you on the head at home, you know, so we don't need hard hats at the workplace. And a lot of these performers like Nina Hartley will say, oh, I don't like working with condoms. Like, people feel like they have a right to do porn. I mean, you don't have a right to do porn when you have a right to be a firefighter. You know what I mean? Or it means it's like, you know, there's certain requirements for a job. If you're going to be a construction person, you have to wear a hard hat. So if you don't like the way a hard hat feels on your head, maybe you shouldn't be in construction. You know, maybe you should go to law school. I don't know. But it's this idea that some of these performers say, oh, I prefer to work without condoms. Well, that's not the point. It's a commercial environment. You know, if you prefer sex without condoms. Listen, I prefer wearing shorts and sandals, right? If I go to if I go to Goldman Sachs as an analyst and I can't say, well, listen, Goldman, I prefer wearing shorts and sandals to work. They're like, this is a bank. You're wearing a suit. <laughs> 
if you want to wear shorts and sandals, get a job as a lifeguard. You know what I mean? <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to me. I think people should, performers should be required to wear condoms. I think they should be required to get vaccinations for hepatitis A and B, Gardasil shot. I think they should get a license so they can be licensed to put the age verification burden on the state instead of the producer. You know, there's a lot of different things uh, that should be done. And I got the documentary Risky Business, uh, a look inside America's adult film industry that people can watch if they go to riskybusinessthemovie.com. Um, and then, of course, I have the book, The Obscene Thoughts, which people can get if they go to obscenethoughts.com. To uh, backpedal for one second, you actually just made me realize something about myself that's kind of interesting. I've, I was sitting here thinking while you were talking about um, how performers should be required to wear condoms that anytime I... I'm looking at porn myself and I see a scene where the guy's wearing a condom. I have this impulsive urge to be like, eh, next one. I stopped for a second and I kind of like wanted to analyze like, where is that coming from? Because it doesn't seem like it's not something that really affects me, you know? Yeah, well, there's two things going on there. So the first thing is think about license plates, right? Like there's a there's a there's a point to having a license plate on a car that in the event of a car accident or something, a hit and run or a kidnapping or the cops are trying to find a car. I mean, there's plenty of public safety and public health or just public safety reasons to have a license plate on a car. Now, nobody would argue that the license plate adds aesthetic value to the car, that the car looks better with a license plate. Like, I think you need to add a license plate to that car. You know, nobody would say that. But the thing is, is if you allow certain manufacturers to wear, to put on a license plate and just choose to opt in to do the right thing and let others not, what's going to happen is when you when you go to the car dealership, you're going to go, no, I'm debating between the Honda Accord and the Toyota Camry because they compete. But I think, you know, the, the, the Camry, it doesn't have a license plate. It just looks more sleek. So I'm going to go buy the Camry. And that's what happens. So so unless you're going to mandate that everybody, the government does, that every car manufacturer has to put a license plate on the car, everybody is equally harmed aesthetically. And then there isn't any change in consumer behavior um, as a result of that. I mean, think about if that were the case. The government says, you know, it'd be really nice if you put a license plate on your car because we can help identify uh, drunk drivers, hit and run people. Police will feel more safe when they approach the car because they'll know if there's an armed felon inside. Car manufacturers, please just do us a favor and do this for us, right? So meanwhile, one car company does it and they say, oh crap, we're not, we're just lost our sales goals because everybody's buying our competitor's car. Nobody's going to buy it. And then you live, and then you live in an un or a less safe society where we don't know who did the carjacking or who drove away from the bank because there isn't a license plate there. So the government can come in and say, no, you got to put a license plate on every car. And that way, you know, you're not arbitrarily sending business to other, to other, uh, you know, car manufacturers because you're mandating that only one company does it. Now, interestingly, Wicked Pictures is one of the longest running, largest adult film companies around. And they have a condom only policy. Everything they shoot is condoms. If the argument is that putting condoms in a movie means that it's not going to sell, then how does that explain why Wicked Pictures is one of the longest-running companies? How does that explain why Bang Bros and Naughty America, back they're no longer condom now, but back in the day, they were the <coughs> number one internet company. Nobody else was using condoms but them. And Reality Kings and Bang Bros, they had the, the most uh, subscribers. So, you know, I think I think they got out of the game, not so much because competition, but just because it's much more difficult to shoot. It's hard enough for the guy to get an erection as it is, as we talked about earlier, that when he finally has one, they try to get him to find a condom and put it on. <laughs> that only adds to the complications of shooting. I mean, I can tell you as a producer that shooting non-condom scenes is much easier than shooting condoms, even as a performer. It's just mm -hmm. so much easier. But the thing is, if you can't do the job, then find another job. If you're a guy and you can't perform with a condom, then find an another line of work. Just like the you know the Navy officer that complains that he can't do 100 push-ups to qualify, well, then maybe you shouldn't be a Navy officer even though you have all the other qualifications. 
you know, I think it just it comes down to that. It's, the government has to mandate it for everyone, otherwise people like you are going to go to somebody else. You know, or maybe these companies like like Wicked Pictures and stuff just have better, you know, marketing and, and you know better distribution because they're they have better relationships with the other uh, with the other players in the business. But um, yeah, and that's it's normal for you to say, given that you have all the options to choose from. You know, but again, I think if I said to you. Would you rather watch a non-Kunda movie with, with these actors that are have like a foreign accent from Germany? I'm sure you've seen that content. Uh, mm-hmm. Versus American actors with condoms. I think most people would shake the American condoms with actors because they can relate with those with those performers more. I mean, even when I watch porn, you know, if I watch something on like you porn, there's like a like a something shot in Europe. Even the girl's super hot. It's like the foreign language. It just it just throws it all off. I can't watch it. Like I have to like switch to something American uh, so I can relate more to it. But that's just me personally. I, I've definitely had that same problem. <laughs> But now that I've had a chance to think about it a little bit, I think that it has a bit to do with, like, a lot of people see porn as a fantasy. Like, that's what it is. And a lot of times, part of your fantasy doesn't really involve a condom. Now, that mentality isn't necessarily wrong, but I think it's kind of wrong to subject all of these people in the adult film industry to the possibility of getting all of these terrible diseases because of that. Yeah, but I don't I don't buy the fantasy argument because it's kind of like I mean take like football right like they have helmets I could say oh you know well football it's the sport it's the competition it's you know you're in the game you want to see the blood and the gore and they shouldn't wear a helmet you know like, like it's not like the NFL you know or these football franchises are just these nice people they're like oh let's just put football helmets on to make everybody feel good I mean it's more like the NFL comes together and says okay we're starting to have these issues. Um, with X, Y, and Z, so now we need to, you know, mandate helmet use um, if you're going to be uh, an NFL team or shoulder pads or this other safety equipment that clearly takes away. I mean, think about like you know, take boxing, right? The gloves they got the gloves on boxing. Like, I think part of the reason that um, boxing is what it is is because they have that those safety measures. I mean, MMA hasn't really become what boxing was yet, you know, because of all the uh, blood and the uh, sort of lack of safety protocol. I don't know that I buy the fantasy argument. You know, because and even if you look at mainstream art, I could say, listen, um, I really want to see, let's say that there's a TV show like Law and & Order, and there's a willing group of people that are willing to, to take a real bullet. You know, he's only going to shoot me in the stomach, but they're going to pay me more money. I'll take it. I'll go to the hospital. I'll get the bullet removed. It's cool. I'm cool with it. And and the government comes in and says, no, you know, you can't do that because it's it's adversely helped. You know, it's, it's bad. It's bad for employment for the, for the employee. You know, they need the money. They're only saying that because they need the money. <clears throat> so you have both arguments. You could say, well, you know, the viewer, the producer shouldn't be obligated to stage the gunshot, you know, because it's the fantasy of the of the viewer that he's actually shooting the person himself to get aggression out. And he's fantasizing through law and order. And he wants to see the bullet enter and the blood splat out. <laughs> I'm saying, listen, you don't really need to shoot the guy. You can make it look like you shot the guy by making the noise, throwing some ketchup on him and then panning to it real quick. And it'll give you the same effect, you know, and then you're like, you know, mm-hmm. I watched the real guy getting shot and then I watched the, the stage version and I just, you know, I just, I can't help it. It must be the fantasy. I'm going back to the real guy getting shot. But you're, you're assuming that you're living in a place where you have TV shows where real people are getting shot and real people aren't getting shot. But you don't have that, you know, in all of the entertainment world, everybody who's getting shot is staged. It's like the license plate analogy. Every car that's designed has to have a license plate. So all the producers and the manufacturers are similarly situated. With the with the condom and porn dilemma, you don't have similarly situated producers. You have some that do and some that don't. And just like most people are going to go to the real gunshot wound or more people are going to buy the car that doesn't have the license plate because it has more sleek design, more people are going to watch non-condom porn. 
but they'll still watch porn if it has condoms because that's evident by Wicked, Bang Bros, um, and Reality Kings because they were selling plenty at the time. Well, I mean, and if it was the only type that was out there, like, I don't think people would just stop watching porn altogether. That doesn't seem realistic. Well, the reality I use is, like, let's say Starbucks, you, know, you go to Starbucks, people like Starbucks, and let's just say that their cups are harmful for the environment. So the government comes in and says, we're going to mandate styrofoam cups. And let's just say people don't like styrofoam cups, but whatever. So people start getting their Starbucks. You know, if Starbucks, people aren't going to stop going to Starbucks. They're going to just drink out of the styrofoam cup and bitch about the styrofoam cup for the first couple of months, and then eventually it'll go away. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Now, if you put poison in the Starbucks, right, or you put, like, dog crap around the cup, that would actually make people stop going to Starbucks. So I think, like, if you made people, like, have to stay clothed, like, it's porn, but, like, they have to stay clothed, there's no, you, you don't see them naked. Like, you know, there's some weird regulation for that. Then I think that would adversely really affect the business but i mean the condom you barely see it and if you watch the documentary i mean if you go to riskybusinessmovie.com and watch it it's like five bucks right you'll see all the arguments for or against you'll see the public health people talking about it you know and I'm, I'm a libertarian i'm like listen let people do whatever they want if you want to have sex without a condom have sex without a condom what i'm talking about is a commercial application you know in, in other words if you want to drive your car without a seatbelt, i think you should absolutely be able to okay but if i'm a cab company and i'm gonna hire you to drive my cab there better damn be a seatbelt in there because you shouldn't have to die because you want you have to come to me to work for money. And I decided not to put a seatbelt in the car and some drunk driver hit you. And now you're dying because of my – in other words, I shouldn't be able to make health decisions for you. I shouldn't be able to say, you know what, I don't care about seatbelts, therefore you shouldn't drive my car. Otherwise, find another you know, find another line of work. I don't think these, these porn producers should be able to say, listen, I don't have a problem with STDs and neither should you. And if you want to work here – then, you know, you're not wearing a condom. I think there's, there's a certain minimal public health mandate that should occur, which it does in every other industry. You know, oil and gas has regulation, building has building code has violation or has uh, regulations, you know, and they have bloodborne pathogen standards in hospitals, you know. So I don't know why, why, well, I know why, because people don't want to, you know, most politicians don't want to touch the porn angle because, they, again, there's a strong conservative religious influence in politics. But I think, uh, as people become more and more acceptable of sex and tolerant of alternative lifestyles, you're going to see that go away. I mean, well, just look, I mean, gay marriage, look at the gay marriage. You couldn't get it done in legislate in legislatures. You have to go through the courts to get this stuff done. <laughs> you know what I mean? Unfortunately, Larry Flint had to go through the courts. Gay marriage had to go through the courts. Abortion had to go through the courts. Nothing's going to get done legislatively at all if it has to do with sex, which is unfortunate. But I think, you know, as the courts rightfully make the correct decisions, uh, people will become more and more comfortable with sexuality and alternative lifestyles, and eventually nobody's going to care. They're going to say, look, as long as nobody's being hurt, nobody's being coerced, there's really no no reason to care. Well, I don't have enough of an understanding of the psychology to say one way or another on this, but do you think that it's possible, or at least conceivable, that if porn did switch to all condoms in every scene, like that was mandatory... Do you think that that would have an effect on the viewers and maybe uh, convince them to practice safer sex? Well, so, you know, there's the thing that says, <coughs> they talk to people, why do you start smoking? Like older people, oh, I remember Jimmy Dean or whoever, well, you know, some guy or, you know, they saw smoking on TV um, and they did it. I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe. I, I have no idea. I mean, I know um, I can tell you what I thought you were going to ask. Do you think there's going to be an underground market where people will start bootlegging it? You know what I mean? And I don't think so. In the same way, they, they did a study once that said, you know, what was the um, – they, they didn't tell guys. They, they just showed guys pictures of girls. They didn't say their age or anything. They just said a rate, you know, the level of attractiveness and your interest in having sex with them. And the highest rated 
people were like 15 or 16 year old girls. So these guys didn't know that. They were just purely looking at the physical characteristics of the girl and what they found sexually appealing based on how developed she was and stuff. Now, knowing that we know that men in randomly selected trials are, are attracted mostly to women who are 15 or 16 years old, you could say, well, by, by implementing this mandate that performers have to be over 18, all you're going to do is create an underground market of 14 and 15-year-old porn. Now, granted, there is a market of you know, illegal child porn, but it, it pales in comparison to uh, the real porn industry. I mean, no legitimate business person is going to start an illegal operation and try to profit from child porn. I mean, they can just start a real – well, today you wouldn't make any money in real porn. But like back in the day before the free and pirated content, you could make more money doing it legitimately. So I think if, if everybody were using condoms because it was mandated, all the performers and the big companies that paid the most – we're using condoms, it would be, uh, you know, a girl would get called by the non-condom underground company and they'd be like, I don't want to shoot for you. Screw that. I'm not going to wear it. It'd be like if, you, if I told a girl today, do an unprotected scene with this guy. He has no test. Every girl would be like, I'm not doing that. Are you fucking nuts? Where's this? Get, have him get a test. Like, because the standard operating procedure is that there's a test every two weeks. You know what I mean? So if there was never a test to begin with, like porn in the early nineties, then people would do it because that's what the, that's what the social norm is. Let's call it, let's call it the industrial norm of porn. So, the industrial porn is testing, 99% of girls are not, are not going to do a shoot without a test. And if, the, and if everybody's using porns or using condoms, 99% of girls are not going to do a scene without a condom. They're not going to sit there and fly to Germany, you know, just to go do, just to do the extra scene. It wouldn't make sense to them. It, much in the same way they wouldn't fly to Germany to do tests with unprotected performers all day long either, because that's not what they're used to. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really buy the underground argument that that they throw out there. Now, in terms of the this idea of, oh, well, you know, people will see the performers and make them more likely to use it. I mean, sure. I mean, if they're if they're in a comprehensive sex ed program and they're talking about condom use and they, they turn on their porn and most of the porn they see they're using condoms, I think I don't think it could be negative. I don't know. Yeah, I, I only see a possibility for some sort of positive influence there. It's only positive, but the question is, is, is the positive uh, enough of a lift to warrant it that we can actually make the claim that it's better? Because I could say, you know, uh, the probability of having a girl versus a boy is 50%, right? Well, let's say a coin toss. I could say a coin toss, 50% heads, 50% tails. But you could flip a coin 10 times and get like seven heads and three tails. And you wouldn't go, oh, well, that's biased. Like it worked, you know, like, oh, I, if you drink Gatorade, you're going to get, you're going to get more tails. Now, if you get all tails, that would be significant. You see, there's a certain number of tails depending on, on your level of confidence you're looking for but to make the claim using only condoms and porn has an impact on real behavior you know you'd have to see some sort of significant increase do some academic studies and pull people who watch porn type of porn that they watch and what their personal uh, sex practices are and control for the other variables and it can be done it can definitely be done but it's but it's your point i mean theoretically it's not going to have an opposite effect it's not like people are going to see porn without condoms and then or with condoms and, and say, I'm going to stop using condoms because that's all I see in porn. So I, I think it's valid. I just don't know. It just hasn't been tested, basically. So. Yeah. And I mean, I, I feel like the opposite is also true, whereas like it's conceivable that someone could see uh, porn without a condom and be convinced that sex without a condom is better and to do it that way. But I mean, there's no data that I'm aware of that makes that connection. <laughs> right. No, there isn't. But, but again, empirically, and this is this is how these statistical studies get done. You have this, you have a hypothesis and you test it, right? And then you publish it and people try to replicate your findings and then you get peer, peer consensus and then it becomes science basically. So yeah, I mean, um, it's like anything else. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, a lot of girls will complain to me. They'll say, oh, you know, my boyfriend, all he wants to do is, you know, 
come on my face. And I'm like, he got that from porn. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> these old women, like 50, oh, I got all these 18 year olds hitting on me. It's because they're watching MILF porn. You know, they think all these 50 year olds are interested in these 18 year old guys, you know, in reality, they're not because 18 year old, you know, women typically want resources and social status and confidence. And when you're 18, you have no resources, low confidence, no social status. It's almost like, you know, romance novel industry came out and said that these tall, successful, confident men love fat, old women. And then, you know, the, the, the fat old women who are reading the romance novels go, oh, wow, this is awesome. It's just not going to happen. You know, like like older women as an aggregate, I'm not talking about outliers. If you take 100 random older women for the population that are in their 50s, you know, you're going to if you find maybe one or two that would be interested in having sex with the 18 year old guy. I think 98% would be interested in having sex with the accomplished 45-year-old guy, but you flip it around, you take you take 150-year-old guys and say, who wants to have sex with the 18-year-old girl? <laughs> then there's only one or two that won't, where the other 98 would, because men value youth, uh, attractiveness, and these other cues of fertility from an evolutionary perspective. And all that stuff is in, is in the Obscene Thoughts book. And that's, uh, that's starting to get into like evolutionary psychology and that sort of thing, which is what your doctorate you're pursuing is in, right? Yeah, well, sort of. I mean, I started off doing what's called media economics um, at Indiana University, which was I was trying to study um, the effects of watching pornography. Does it make you more or less likely to be unfaithful in a relationship? So in other words, if you, men who watch porn and men who don't watch porn, how much does actually watching porn contribute to the desire for partner variety or cheating on your spouse, etc.? I didn't stay there long enough because it was too cold, so I left. And then I got into a PhD program in computer science only because it was, you know, my, my master's was in business information systems. I did well in that, but then I'm just like, I'm just not motivated by computer science. I don't, I don't care how efficient the algorithm is. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to go write a paper about more efficient ways to run a query. You know, like I just didn't care. I mean, I like the application of computer science, but I didn't, I didn't care about the theory where with evolutionary psychology, I'm obsessed with the theory. So I'm probably going to uh, finish it. In evolutionary psychology, I mean, I'll, I'll apply to an evolutionary psychology program. Hopefully, some credits will transfer. But even at the start from the beginning, I don't really care. I have such a strong foundation on evolutionary psychology, and I've done so much work with it in terms of the book that I read and the relationship that I wrote and the relationships I have with many top evolutionary psychologists today that I communicate with and correspond with. Uh, it's unlikely that I wouldn't get into one of the better programs. So I'll probably apply. Like I got some other things I'm finishing up, and I'll probably in about two years I'll apply and I'll fit just to get the finish off the the formal training and research and read up on the rest of the literature that I haven't yet read that's critical for evolutionary psychology. And then, but I wouldn't want to really be a professor. I don't see myself coming out. You know, I, I could see myself more being like a data analyst or like a research scientist for, you know, a company like OkCupid where you're taking big volumes of data and saying who's, who's hooking up with who, who's matching with who, who's getting emailed, who's not getting emailed, what are the data characteristics about the profile. You know, I'm more into the statistics and the data, but I definitely want the sound evolutionary formal training to help inform those, uh, those predictive models. Now, whenever you think of the, and this is probably just a sort of societal cognitive bias, but whenever you think of the average guy that's uh, involved in the porn industry, you don't typically think of them as the kind of person that would be pursuing a doctorate. So what led to you doing that? Uh, I've always been intellectually curious, but but again, you're making the, blame, the blanket statement about the industry. Like you say, okay, but the industry... I mean, it's such a broad statement. I mean, the porn industry is the performers, it's the directors, it's the producers, it's the distributors, it's the guy who drives the truck to the warehouse. So it's kind of like saying, you know, when I talk about someone who works in the food industry, you don't really see them getting a doctorate. But are you talking about the guy who's behind the counter? Are you talking about the CEO of McDonald's or the head of product development? Like, you know, people just have are just so misinformed that the adult film industry is just like any other business. I mean, it, it, you might be working at, you know, Paramount Pictures. It's, it's the same stuff. There's agents, there's 
you know, production, post-production, trade shows, you know, content licensing, lawyers. So, I mean, it's such, it's funny, you know, when people talk about race, they say, oh, you know, like, um, like I never see race. Like, I, it doesn't occur to me that I'm, I'm meeting with a black guy or, or, oh, I'm dating this girl and she's Asian. Like, it, it doesn't even occur to me that, I mean, I realize she's Asian or, but to me, like, if I say, if I'm hanging out with you, I might notice that your eyes are a certain color, but I'm not going to be like, oh, wow, he's got brown eyes or he's got blue eyes. Like, that's how I see race. I don't go, I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe you have blue eyes or maybe you're black or maybe you're Asian, but it doesn't even enter into my calculus right and i think it's just so funny when people say oh so you know somebody you know from the porn business blah 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 like to me it's no different from somebody from the oil and gas industry or somebody from the beauty industry it's just because all these industries share common traits i mean whether it's adult media whether it's mainstream media whether it's soccer balls whether it's auto manufacturing i mean they all have finance they all have marketing they all have production costs they all have output um, you know, there's just legal challenges. So I think this idea of, of people saying, oh, you know, people in the in the porn industry are X, Y, and Z is like saying, you know, black people are X, Y, and Z. I mean, black criminals, but there's also Obama, the black president, right? And there's also uh, black CEOs and there's black lawyers and there's black doctors and there's black mechanics and there's black McDonald's workers. I mean, there's black everything. So you can't, just in the same way that you can't say, you know, your question is like saying, so you're a black guy, you're getting a PhD. Like, I didn't know black people got PhDs. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, I get what you're saying, but but I think that's part of the sort of the, the ignorance that people have toward the industry. Well, I mean, it was it was less from the perspective that I personally found it surprising and more that like the average person would. Because, I mean, in my opinion, I feel like it's just that the industry has this stigma against it where uh, people see someone associated with this thing that they perceive as bad, the adult film industry. Whether it's bad or not, that doesn't matter. They perceive it that way. Okay. And they they don't think that someone who's associated with something like that is likely to go on to do something that they perceive as good, like getting a PhD. Exactly, but see, but this this is part of why the reason why these shows. But but think about what you're saying. Think about other things that are bad. Nobody would argue that tobacco is good. Nobody would say you know smoking cigarettes is great, right? Yet nobody would challenge if an analyst at at you know Anhe or uh, what's it called? Uh, what is it? Altria now it used to be Philip Morris. If it, if, if I said, hey, uh, mom, you know. I work at uh, Austria. I'm a product development manager. I'm going to get my MBA. And my mom says, I didn't know people from the tobacco company would get an MBA. <laughs> you know I mean, like, it's a bad industry. It's tobacco. It's bad people. You know, like there's just something about American attitudes towards sexuality specifically. And I talk about this with my European friends all day long. Like my European friends think it's so like American. I, I love dating European girls. The European girls are great. You go with a European girl, like three hours later, you're having sex. And it's completely normal. I mean, they love it. They're like, yeah, Americans are weird. You know, like American girls, they're so conflicted, particularly younger women. There's sort of the natural biology that women have that they want to have sex with guys that they're connected to, that are tall, personable, outgoing, confident, social status. So they're thinking, wow, here's a guy that has these characteristics. I'm attracted to him. Oh, but I'm not supposed to have sex with him. But she wants to biologically, so she does. And then she feels like shit because society tells her she wasn't supposed to do it. And then she's conflicted. And then that's bad. Where in Europe... You know, they, they encourage sexuality. It's part of life. Like, if I had a kid, I would really, like, be sex positive. I'd be like, listen, I know you have a boyfriend or girlfriend. It's normal to have sex. Just, you know, know what the consequences are. Use a condom. You know, be safe. Get on the pill if you need to be on the pill. And, uh, you know, be happy. Don't do anything you, you don't want to do just because this guy's pressuring you to do it or vice versa. And I don't know. I, I, I feel like the, like the people I meet that are more sexually open and progressive and, and accept their biology – are so much happier than those that are trying to live by a social model that's completely outdated. And I strongly believe that our our social norms regarding sexuality and the date, the current dating model and stuff, 
is just as archaic as when we thought that everything revolved around the the Earth, when the data suggested everything revolved around the sun, and these scientists were thrown in prison and killed for making these claims because they were contradictory to what was said in the Bible. So when you start making claims like there's nothing wrong with casual sex as long as it isn't coerced and people are proactively opting into it, it goes against a lot of these religious texts. You know, if somebody's gay and they're just naturally attracted to men, you know, it goes against the religious text, but it doesn't change the fact that the guy's naturally attracted to men. That's what he likes. And, and you see homosexuality in many different species. There's nothing wrong with it. So again, part of my mission is to make people start uh, questioning at least these religious beliefs. And at least if we can point out enough inconsistencies, then maybe they'll join the group of atheists or at least agnostics, and then we can get some progress on the uh, on the moral front, on more of a scientific standard as opposed to some pulled out of a vacuum. I think that the internet is going to be a great tool for that sort of societal change. Because, I mean, when I was growing up and I was a little kid, like, I really believed the whole Christianity thing. And that only sort of abated once I was exposed to the internet, once I was around... 10 or 11 years old and started to get exposed to all of this vast wealth of information that's out there. So, I mean, I feel like the more the internet becomes pervasive in everyone's lives and the more information we're exposed to, the more that stuff is going to kind of fall by the wayside. Yeah, absolutely. It's happening right now. I mean, this isn't the future. This is happening now. We're kind of into the curve. I mean, like, you know, open relationships and swinging is much more popular now because, you know, it, it, you don't have to mail a letter anymore or subscribe to a magazine or websites for that. Whatever it is, I mean, it's, it's kind of normal to be gay now. It's normal to be transgender. You know, like all these things that people were marginalized before, they can find a community through the Internet. So I absolutely believe that. And I mean, I remember, you know, I was raised Catholic. I go to church and I'm like, I would like analyze the words of what people were singing. And I'm like, do people realize what they're saying? <laughs> like you're eating like this dead guy basically like we're, we're resurrecting him we're gonna eat his you know his flesh and this is and you're literally turning this this bread into the body and blood of jesus Christ. i'm like and you believe this is happening right now <laughs> right it was just so weird and they had this little cup that everybody was drinking out of i'm like all right there's there's a public health issue <laughs> like everybody drinking from the same glass you know that has grape juice in it or whatever and then i remember when i went to i went to an all-guys catholic school Great education, by the way. But um, I uh, I remember they said, you know, our motto was, you know, teach me goodness, discipline, and knowledge was the was the school's motto. And they said, you know, you can't wear t-shirts and shorts because that was unprofessional and it made you lazy. However, if you pay like twenty dollars for a Catholic Central t-shirt, then you can wear a Catholic Central t-shirt. So wait a minute, t-shirts are bad, but a Catholic Central t-shirt isn't bad because they can advertise the school to try to get more students to pay crazy tuition to go there. And this $1 shirt, effectively, they're charging $20 so they can make money on. And then you start seeing these things like, you know, all these religious people. There was a documentary on the uh, on the Catholic Church on Frontline that shows that most of the top clergy are gay and that goes against their tenants and that they're going to these sex clubs. You know, like all these things they're not supposed to be doing. And you, you get like these Republican legislators that are caught in like the airport bathroom with a boy. The same guy who's trying to outlaw being gay. I think I think Elliot Spitzer was trying to crack down on prostitution, even though he was actively getting a prostitute. Like you see all these inconsistencies where when you you're never going to find a pornographer saying, you know, I think sex is bad. Like, like, you know, saying sex is great and then secretly saying sex is bad. You know, what I mean, like you're never going to have that. Larry Flint is never, ever, ever going to be talking about that the government should start censoring content. You know what I mean? Like, he's a First Amendment guy. Like, he's consistent. You know, there's no inconsistency in the sex industry, but there's plenty of inconsistency in the um, religious community, which I think, and I think that's becoming more and more exposed, and I think, you know, less and less people are, are subscribing. 
and I think, that, like you said, the the, the future to, to uh, tolerance and happiness is going to be uh, the internet, information, and people just asking questions. I want to preface this next question by saying that I, I don't agree with this outlook, but I know a lot of people feel this way. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are on people that think that one of the main reasons that porn is a bad thing is that it causes people to look at women as objects rather than people. Well, okay, so well, there's a lot of responses to that one. So first of all, if porn revealed anything about men's attitudes towards women, then you would expect gay porn to be very different because now you have men interacting with other men. But when you look at gay porn compared to straight porn, it's identical. It's usually a younger target, right? Like the younger girl, the younger guy, it's the same type of positions back and forth. There's no difference. I mean, basically, other than the target of the, the receiving person on the sex end, it's the same thing. So if watching porn or producing porn fundamentally said anything about how men felt about women, you would expect gay porn to be different, but it's not. It's the same. So how can you argue that it makes men think differently about women when it'd be one thing with gay porn, they were giving hugs and they were going to dinner and they were getting married and giving kisses. And in in girl porn, they're all just banging the girl like, okay, then I can see what they're saying. But there's absolutely no difference between the two groups. So again, back to statistics, right? You're looking for differences in two groups. If you control, if you take gay porn and straight porn and you control for outcome based upon gender, the gender of the recipient, you'll find no difference. If you want to say number of position, duration of sex act, where the cum shot is, you know, like it's all going to be the same. You will not be able to, to notice any difference that the gender variable would come in as you know, not significant. The only people who complain about porn in relationships are women. You'll never hear a gay couple complaining about porn. Like, oh, he watches too much porn. Like, gay guys don't do that. Gay guys, they porn's accepted. Like, they both love it. It's, it's just, it's that women don't like male sexuality. Porn caters to male sexuality. Fifty Shades of Grey <laughs> in romance novels and chick flicks cater to female. For a girl to say that pornography gives men an unrealistic view of how women should look or how they should behave sexually is no different than a man saying that mainstream media gives women unrealistic expectations about a man's social status, how much money he should make, what type of car he should drive, and how much time he should have available to spend with the family. Because she watched Fifty Shades of Grey and the guy was a billionaire who only wanted to be with her and you know had a jet, and yet he still had plenty of time. I know plenty of multimillionaires and they don't have the time to just hang out with the girlfriend as much as this guy does. It's hard to find a porn with a fat girl in it, a fat old woman, and it's equally hard to find a romance novel with a short, non-confident, unemployed man living at home who's the main guy who gets the hot heroine. And mm-hmm. I could say, well, listen, uh, you know, like, per capita income is $40,000. Why why are all of these lead uh, romance novel guys all of a education level and a resource level that's well beyond you know, several standard deviations from the mean of income? Much as these same women say, well, you know, all these girls in porn have, you know, size three bodies and these big boobs and it's not normal, but it's just as abnormal as the income levels and the resources and social status that these guys have in mainstream film. No, that definitely makes sense. So what would you say to a, uh, to a woman who feels like her, uh, significant other watching porn means that he's not as attracted to her as he should be? Male sexuality means that men want multiple partners. I mean... Porn is a substitute, basically. It's tricking the brain into allowing the brain to think that it's mating with other women. She should be happy that the guy's watching porn because at least he's not actually having sex with the other girl and might impregnate her, you know, because if there's no porn, then he's probably cheating. And there's evolutionary explanations for that. I mean, the men 
are more, it's all about getting your genetics into the future. Men, we have a very low cost of having sex. Sperm is cheap. I could go out and have sex with five different girls a day for the next 50 years and have a thousand kids. And the more kids I have, the more likely they are to survive. Women, on the other hand, don't have that same situation. It's not that set up that way. If a woman mates indiscriminately, she doesn't know who the father is. And then, and we're not talking about modern science. We're talking about, you know, the development of the brain from an evolutionary perspective can't keep up with modern science from even 100 years ago, let alone hundreds of thousands of years. So the girl, it's not in her interest to mate indiscriminately because then she doesn't know who the father is. If the father doesn't know that he's the father, he's not going to invest. He's not going to get resources. He's not going to parent the child because he's not going to think it's his. So you have that going on. Not only that, but women typically want to get to know the guy because they can only have a fixed number of children in a lifetime. They have so many eggs, and once they hit menopause, they're no longer able to reproduce. So they want to get to know the guy. Does he have mental problems? Is he successful? Can he communicate? Does he have health issues? What does he look like? Will my baby be attractive? And if I have a male, will he be attractive so that he can, you know. Women love when, they're, when, they're got, when their sons are able to appeal to many women. Women love that. They just don't want their husband <laughs> to do that. But um, – it is what it is. And women oftentimes have a dual mating strategy. You know, if you, if you're a woman, like if you're like a really high value woman, you know, like, like, you know, a successful, very attractive woman, you can get both an investing male and a high quality genetic male, but most women can't. So what they'll do is they'll, they'll date the average, if you're an average looking girl, you know, all the doctors and lawyers, you know, the high status guys, they don't want to date you. They want to date the attractive girls. So now you're dating the average guy. You're dating like the accountant, right? And all of a sudden, you have the opportunity to have a short-term relationship or fling with George Clooney because he's in town and he will have sex with you at the end of the premiere. All of a sudden, you know, you, you know that your husband's still going to be there to invest in you. It's going to be called cuckolding, basically. But you get George Clooney's genetics. A lot of women do that. They've actually done studies where they look to see, like, at random, you know, they do blood tests and they find out, are the biological fathers really the fathers? And you'll be surprised at how high the amount is of people who believe that you know, that like, I think I don't have a kid, but like, a, like I would have a daughter or son and think it was mine, but it really wasn't because my wife cheated on me with a, with a higher status guy. It's something like, it's over 10%. I don't know. I, it's, it's more than 10 and less than 30, but it's, and that's significant in itself. Yeah. That number is way higher than I would have expected it to be. Somewhere between 10 and 30. I think it's closer to 10, though. It's probably like 15. I, I mean, you could Google it. I think, I think David Magnus at Stanford is the guy that, that has that research. But it's normal. It's expected. I would, you know, it, it's like, like I tell, I'm a data guy. So I'm like, listen, if you're dating, if you're a woman and you're dating a tall, personable, confident, successful man of social status, he's, you're not the only person he's having sex with. You're probably the only person he's going on vacation with. You're probably the only person he loves, but he's having sex with other girls. And if your wife is, you know, if you're an average earning guy, you know, if you're just in the regular mean distribution or, you know, uh, first the standard deviation of, of income um, and education, then your wife is more than likely. You're the one that has to be more concerned whether your kid is your own. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're Lloyd Blankfein of Goldman Sachs, you know, your kid's probably yours. You know what I mean? Because his wife probably wanted to have his kid. But if you're, you know, the manager at McDonald's, it doesn't matter that your wife's average. If she can have sex with the doctor, she will. Uh, and she'll let you think it's your kid because then she's going to get your resources to help support that because, again, she wants to maximize her genetics getting into the future. And this isn't conscious. This is all subconscious. It's not like the girl's thinking, oh, well, you know, his genetic quality isn't as good as the doctor's. I mean, it's not this rational choice, but it's what happens subconsciously. And you can just observe it in your own behavior. I mean, think about in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. That's where you are, right? Think about the hottest girl you know. It doesn't matter if she's married or not. Just married, single, who is the most hottest, you know, attractive girl you know? And chances are the guy that she's dating is tall, probably has a good job. I would guess that he 
that he probably makes more than $100,000 a year, even though the per capita income is around 38 or 40. And I would guess that his education level is is postgraduate, even though most people don't go to college. You know what I mean? And then if you if I say, tell me the least attractive woman you know, chances are she's either not married at all, or if she is, that the guy that she's dating makes within the first standard deviation of income. And probably same thing with the education. And then for guys, I say, listen, show me, uh, you know, if I say to a girl, you know, tell me which guy is the hottest in your group. Even if they were single, if you could date them, who would they be? That guy most likely is tall. He's kind. He has resources, social status, a good job, drives a nice car. And if I said, who would you never date? What guy is the last guy you date on the planet? Then it's usually somebody who's unemployed, stays at home with his mom and plays video games. <laughs> you know what I mean? So and these are fairly predictable. Remember, we're talking about population level data. So you, there's probably someone that may be listening to the show going, well, that's not true because my friend Jody dated this loser Joe. I mean, we know statistically we can say men are taller than women, right? That, that's, a, that's a scientific claim. If you take 100 men at women, 100 random, 100 men at random, 100 women at random, you measure their means, run a difference in means test, it'll be significant that men are taller than women. And you can go, well, my friend Jennifer is 6'1 on the basketball team at Penn State, and her boyfriend's only 5'4. That's anecdotal individual data. That's an outlier. That doesn't, that's not consistent. So a lot of people that don't understand data, they, they, they don't understand the difference between population level data, and sort of anecdotal data. But it's, you know, but it's, it's, it's just silly. I mean, Clearly, the number one predictor of infidelity in a happy relationship is gender, meaning male. Because <laughs> men cheat based on opportunity. You know, women women cheat only if there's something missing. So if they're in a happy relationship, you know, the woman's not going to cheat. But I mean, but the whole book gets into that because there's also exceptions for sexual abuse, your prior history of sexual emotional abuse, and all this other stuff. So we're we're talking at a very basic level here. But the model is held up pretty pretty well. I. I personally, and again, this is anecdotal evidence, so it can't really be considered in the overarching scheme of things, but personally, I don't cheat on women that I'm in a relationship with. However, I have never been in a relationship where I did not simultaneously use pornography. And if I was in a relationship where I was not permitted to do that, and I was approached by another woman who was offering sex, I kind of want to say that I would at, at least end that relationship because I don't think that that's healthy in the first place to not let your significant other look at pornography if they want to. But I I like to think that I would at least end the relationship before I did something with anyone else. I got to roll pretty soon, but I would argue that um, even if you were watching porn you with your girlfriend, if you were at work somewhere and some hot 20-year-old said, wow, you're really attractive. Can I, can I please give you a blowjob? Please. Then you say, okay. <laughs> all of a sudden, you would. It's, it's opportunity. It's easy for you to say that you wouldn't do it when you don't have all this opportunity. I mean, you might. Maybe. I, I don't know. But the guys I know that have opportunity, it, it's, it's a whole different thing when you have opportunity. It's one thing to rationalize and say, oh, I'm not going to do it or I wouldn't do it until you're in the situation. It's like those people, oh, if I was on that plane with the hijackers that went down. I wouldn't have let that happen, we, but they weren't on the plane. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a whole different scenario when you're actually on the plane, right? So it's one thing for me to go, oh, you know, it's called hot state, cold state. Dan Ariely and George Lowenstein did a study at Berkeley where they asked people in the cold state, would you cheat on your girlfriend? Would you have sex with uh, this older woman? Would you have sex with this overweight woman? Would you do this? Would you do that? Uh, do you think it's wrong to cheat on your spouse? And they answer all these questions. And then they, they, they had the subjects watch pornography, okay, with, a, with, a, with a, I guess, a wrapped computer or something. 
and um, you know they've taken it home, and then they, they were instructed to watch porn. And once they were aroused, they could start the survey. They they were instructed to you know to ejaculate to uh, to masturbate to arousal where they're about to ejaculate, but don't ejaculate. Then answer the questions: Would you cheat on your spouse? Yes. Would you have sex with this girl right now? Yes. Would you have sex with an older woman? Yes. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it all changed. They were you know it, it's one thing for me. You ever eat like a big meal and you feel full and stuff? You're like, all right, fuck this. I'm on a diet. Starting now, I'm on a diet. I'm gonna start eating healthy. And the next day. Once you've slept and you're hungry again, you're like, ah, eh, you know, forget the diet. <laughs> because you're no longer, you're not, now that, that hunger drive is back, when you've eaten a whole meal, you're satiated. You, you don't want anything. It's easy for you to commit to a diet until you get hungry again. So it's, it's easy for a guy to say, oh, I wouldn't cheat on my girlfriend. Of course not. But you're not in a position where you're surrounded. I mean, as a writer, you're not in a position where you're surrounded by women to give that opportunity compared to if you were a talent scout for a bikini company. <laughs> Where these girls are, are, oh, how about now? How about this? Am I good for your company? <laughs> and then they want the job, so maybe they're willing to do other things to get the job. And now you're in a completely different scenario. It's harder to make that claim. You know? I got to roll there, but Yeah, why don't, uh, real quick, why don't you tell people where they can find your, uh, your book and your documentary and stuff? Sure, sure. The book is called Obscene Thoughts, A Pornographer's Perspective on Sex, Love, and Dating. It's an Amazon bestseller, and it's also an award-winning book. It won the, uh, the Bronze Award in the Psychology Division uh, for the Book of the Year for Forward Clarion last year at the American Library Association Conference. You can get that at www.obscenethoughts.com. And uh, there's an audio book, a Kindle version, and a hardcover, or a, a, a paperback. Um, and the documentary is called Risky Business, A Look Inside America's Adult Film Industry. And you can get that at riskybusinessthemovie.com. And that won uh, a bunch of awards on the film festival circuit in 2013. And it's basically a political and public health documentary about the adult film business, how performers come in, what happens after they leave, and all the politics and public health that surrounds uh, that industry. Sympathetic, I tend to get lost in my mind. Whoa, I wanna get away, I wanna leave today. No more waiting, no more lies. I'm fried, broke, no time to fight. All right, that was my interview with Dave Pounder. And before I dive into any criticisms, I just want to thank him for coming on the show. It really was an interesting conversation, and whether you agree with what was discussed or not, it's good that we can actually have those conversations, because for a long time it's been difficult to even discuss the subject of sex in this country, because our culture is just so heavily stigmatized against anything sexual. But these are important conversations that we need to have, because no matter what the real answers are, understanding human sexuality is a key component of understanding what it means to be a human in the first place. That said, I do have a couple things that I would like to note. The first is that I think Dave misunderstood my question um, and kind of took offense because he thought that I was painting everyone in the porn industry with the same brush. I understand that there are lawyers and accountants and producers and all of that stuff in the porn industry. What, what I meant with my question was the, the majority of people, whether justly or unjustly, tend to not associate the pursuit of academics with people who allow themselves to be filmed having sex. Now, I fully acknowledge 
whether you're a porn actor or actress or not probably has no bearing on your intelligence, but I just think Dave misunderstood my question. Second, Dave uh, insinuated that pretty much any man would cheat given the opportunity, and I could not disagree with that statement more strongly. He insinuated that because I'm a writer and I don't have women throwing themselves at me on a daily basis, that I'm not really in the situation to even claim that I wouldn't cheat on someone. But the thing is, those of you that have listened to previous episodes know that I was in a rock band for several years, and during that time, I could have had sex with a lot of women if I wanted to, but I was in a relationship at the time, and that was more important to me. I had the opportunity, and it's really just as easy as saying no. And I'm sure there are guys out there that would cheat on whoever they were with, given the opportunity, regardless of how great that relationship was, but I'm just not one of them. That's the great thing about love. It's not a universal thing for everyone. There are people out there who are polyamorous and enjoy being with multiple partners, and that's what makes them happy. I'm not one of them either. What what love is to me is being faithful to a single partner and having that incredible bond that only the two of you share. That's what's right for me. It's not necessarily what's right for you, and that's okay. We're all different. And because we're all different, that's why it's important that none of you should walk away from this interview thinking, oh, that, that Dave Pounder was just spitting all of this hatred about women, or he thinks that men are pigs and all they do is cheat on women. Or th- That's the wrong message to take away from this. Total dismissal of what he is saying means that you've learned nothing. I mean, look at the actors that make our films in Hollywood. Look at their wives and girlfriends and tell me how many of them would fall below a 5 on a 1 to 10 scale of attractiveness if you just had a random sampling of men rate their attractiveness. The answer is not many. And there's a reason for that. I'm not saying it's all women. I'm not saying it's all men. What I'm saying is different people in this world are attracted to different things. Some of those people are attracted to money and status, and that is just a fact. And last but not least, I want to thank you, the listener, for sticking with this longer-than-usual episode. We're probably about 20 minutes over the mark by now. If you want to see more, rate, like, subscribe, all that jazz. You can follow us over at at Life and Overdrive on Twitter. My personal Twitter is at NotAnotherKier, spelled K-I-E-R, because my parents have no clue how phonetics work. And if you have an experience that you've lived through, if you have an awesome job that you think is worthy of talking about for an hour on this podcast, you can go ahead and shoot me an email at lifeandoverdrivepodcast at gmail.com. Apart from that, I'll see you guys in a week with another episode.